Hey, this is Jordan Sutton, pastor at Clear Path Church. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. We appreciate you listening. A little about our community. We love to come together. We love to come to the Lord's table together. Uh, we're a community trying to be led by the Spirit, just walking through Scripture together, walking through life together. If this message is an encouragement to you, bring some hope to your life at the end of the sermon. There'll be a little bit of information about how you can get in touch with us. Stay tuned, and thanks for joining. In a minute, I'm going to invite Amber to come up with me, and Amber and I are going to have a talk this morning with all of you. Um, I'm going to interview her and her life and work, and um, it's going to be fun. Um, before I do that, I want to invite you back to something I've been mentioning the past couple weeks, which is uh, what James invites us to. When we when we come to when we come to Jesus, um, I think that there has been an underemphasis over this in the last couple decades. But when we come to Jesus, there is a reality that we lay down a life of sin and a, and a will of our own way to take upon his leadership in our lives. How many of you have tried to lead your own life ineffectively? That would be all of us. And there is one of the things that happens upon salvation is not just that we believe, but that we choose that we are going to draw our allegiance to him and that we are going to trust that his ways are better than our ways. And so in the process of that, uh, there is a lot of sin that we can, that God continues to deal with in our lives and, um, and brokenness that he wants to remove that we might be full, that we might fully follow him. And over the, a couple weeks ago, I preached on uh, the repentance of, of sin uh, in turning to the Lord. And I've seen over the last couple weeks a just continual flow of people going, my gosh, like, I want freedom. And actually, the crux of that message was that you can have freedom from sin. And so if you're here wondering, like, can I be free from sin? I want to tell you, you can be free from sin. Yeah. It does not have to reign over your life. There is, this, there is this mistaken thing that we talk about in, in church where we say, oh, we're all, we're all broken, we're all weak, and that is true. We all have done things that um, are less than good and less than our best. But I also believe that we can walk in a way of submission to Jesus, that we can live in a place where sin does not reign over us. And I just want to give you that faith that I believe that Jesus is drawing us into that place. Um, but the path to that is a very, very humble path. And I, 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 I shared this, and I, I just want to keep sharing this, that I have done this, and I've seen many people do this, where we have sin still reigning over, your, over our life. How many of you have had a season, I'll just make it easy, where sin has reigned over your life? Like, I, we have... Um, what happens is, if you're a normal human being, you feel bad for doing things that you know are wrong. Like, and that's a good thing. 
And God created us to, to feel that way. And we will go often to God in prayer and, 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 and cry and feel sorry and repent. But the scripture doesn't invite us to just go to God in prayer. It invites us to go to our brother and confess that we may be healed. Because when you do that, you are putting something in the light so that it no longer has power in the darkness. And it's a process of humbling yourself. Like the most humbling thing is to admit where, maybe not for everybody, but it is a humbling thing to admit where we're weak and go in need of others to pray for us. And so I'm, I am not uh, Catholic and I don't have you know, uh, not like a Catholic theology, but I, I once listened, I, a couple weeks ago, I listened to this nun. She, some lady called and said, well, why do I have to go and confess my sins? Um, she said, doesn't God forgive us? And the nun responded, she said, um, listen, there's no priest, there's no person on, on heaven or earth that can, for, that can forgive you, but God asks that you go to your brother that you may be forgiven. It's God alone that forgives you. And so I just want to say this, like that when we walk in sin, it is God alone that will forgive us. But his invitation to us in coming to know him is to go to our brother and, and to walk in grace. Everybody cool with this? Mm -hmm. And so there's this, I actually was this morning, I, for last year, I, I wrote 90% of a book that I stopped writing. Um, on shepherding, and this morning I was uh, working on one of the final chapters that I didn't really have finished, and it's this ch the chapter on being a flock, and, and the essence of it is that we're really dependent upon each other much more than we like to admit. We, we in, in our society, love the idea of independence and self-reliance, but the reality is that we are all in various ways dependent upon each other. And it's the way that God made things, that not that we would be entirely dependent, but that we would be dependent upon God in others. Amen? Yep. And so I want to read to you this scripture, and then I'm going to have Amber come up here. It says, For I say, this is in Romans 12, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one um, a measure of faith. For as we have many members in the body, but all members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts deferring according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If we prophesy, let us prophesy in a proportion of our faith. Or ministry, let us use it ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhorting, he who gives liberally, he who leads with all diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And God, God gives us these various giftings in our body that we, um, that we would benefit from the fullness of him in each other. Amen? And so I wanted to, we've been talking about holiness this year, and I, um, I love that holiness is not an issue of uniformity or, 
or all of us looking like one thing. There are different ways in which we express the holiness of God. And so it was a, a, a series of events, a worship leader getting sick and Zane stepping in and he was going to preach. Um, I asked Amber if she would let me interview her on her work and life working um, uh, with people who are neuroatypical and um, have different forms of developmental disabilities. I'll let her tell you about her work. And, but it was actually my plan, you know, when we started this, to interview people and to see how God shapes the body differently and gifts uniquely. And so, um, Amber, once you come, I'm, we're gonna we're gonna chat. Would you grab her a water as well? Let's give Amber a hand. Um, start by telling, like you're you're doing something. We're gonna at the end we're gonna ask people to participate. Um, can you just share a little sure. bit about that? So for the last ten years, actually Melissa McCoy kind of started it. Um, she kind of hooked me into something. But for the last two years, I've worked with some, uh, at least one adult day program that um, provides a place for adults with special needs or disabilities to go during the day with different activities and different levels of functioning and different stuff like that. Once they can no longer like necessarily um, receive services from a school district. So um, I started doing this thing with like a special angel wish list where each client there would get their own personalized um, Christmas present. And I just, I did the first year because I was kind of asked and then I went. There's several of you who have gone through the years. It is crazy on the day of the Christmas party. Number one, they all believe that it's really Santa. Kevin has been Santa for the last, I think, 10 years. <laughs> and his helper, his beautiful helper, Miss Claus, or an elf through the years, whichever, whichever way we're going, they've, they've gone and they've handed out, but like literally they really do believe that it is the actual Santa, not, not just, um, and they want, it is true, and they want a picture. Um, I don't know that Kevin Sipes has ever felt more like a celebrity than in those moments. Um, You're telling me Santa's not real. Uh, I'm not saying, I'm just saying it's not Kevin. You know, that's all I'm saying. Um, and it, it's pretty, pretty crazy, but even, I, I was struck by just the, uh, the whole thing of I have worked with special needs population for, at this point, I think it's my 26th year. I know I look too young for that, but I started right out of college. But um, it's really funny because if you go around while we were waiting for Santa to come, if you talk to different clients and say, hey, Santa's coming. I'm going to get a present this year. Oh, I've been real good. But I'll tell you what. Sam over there has been naughty, and he's probably not going to get a present. They are serious about it, it's serious stuff. So I guess after I did it the first time, I was kind of hooked. So I've been doing it for about 10 years. There's one year I had to take off during COVID because they, um, man, the, that population was really hit pretty hard um, with COVID and having the day programs um, cause some issues because it's a way to spread and different things like that. But so, so what I, can people like we we uh, we're going to give a chance for people to sign up for this at the end. What what is it that people can sign up? Well, I have a hundred gift uh, lists that I was given. Generally, I get them; they get taken way fast. So this was the whole reason why I called Jordan because I'm looking and I still had like forty 
lists left yesterday, and I was like, oh my gosh, these lists aren't going to get taken, because they're usually taken within like hours. Um, but I still have 30 lists that need to be taken. Um, the these are gift lists. Gift for, lists for, for individuals, then it goes directly to them. They open it there. Um, most of the people I'm working with are economically disadvantaged, so I want you to think they range in the age from 22 to 70. So if you're 70 and you have a disability, probably your parents are no longer around. I have some that um, this is likely to be their only Christmas present they get, which we live in a society where we value gifts and everything, but what I can tell you is it matters to them. The things they ask for are eye-opening in and of themselves, things like Barbies. Michael Jackson is a huge, huge hit. Michael Jackson DVD, DVD headphones, a Walkman, a CD Walkman, because they like to use what, what they're used to using, digital watches, stuff like that. But I've committed to everyone spending about 50 to $70 on the list. Some things you won't be able to get everything for that. But I would say the average person spends more than that, spends about $100 per list. Um, so you, and can, you we'll get this this list at the at the end. We'll we'll make uh, or Amber ha, Amber has her book, so you can find her at the end. Um, and we need people to actually shop, go get these gifts for. These and they just bring them back here to church, and I take them, and they come pick them up. If you don't care, you can just say, "Hey, send me a list, and I'll find you on Facebook or your number." You can look look for one in here. You can also donate to the church or to myself. You, I have a, a nonprofit called Overflow. I can write a giving statement or something like that. But um, those are just different ways that you can help with that. It's a really cool event. So you were, I wanted to really back up and talk about your, your kind of growing up with the Lord, but just, just for an overview sake, you were teaching um, in, a, in the capacity of working with those who are development of disabilities. Mm -hmm. And now you're administrating a, a an area or a, a whole district. Is that is that? It and is, I think that yeah. this is like teacher of the year person a couple of times. So I'm just trying to give you awareness. Like awesome at work. Um, yeah. So I like I said I've been doing this for about 25 years. Uh, the last three years I work as a transition specialist. Um, I probably maxed out as high as I can go and getting up any higher. I don't have a master's degree or anything like that. I just have years of experience. I've gotten good at a couple of things, really good at a couple of things. Um, and so right now I work with, in our district, I head up something called transition planning. I work with parents, families, teachers, programming to help um, those with special needs all the way. And lots of times we think of special needs as those that we can like see with our eyes, but even those that have learning disabilities or ADHD that might be in AP classes, I kind of help them provide them with information of different things available to them to help them as they transition to adult living. So in, in the room this size, there's, there's got to be someone that you know, might even be you that had been diagnosed with dyslexia or learning disability, all the way down to, you know, um, those that might not be able to care for themselves. Um, in personal care, you, everyone in here probably knows someone, it, you know, have experience with someone. Um, and so that's what I kind of, I, I didn't mean to, I, it was not my intent, but that's kind of where life landed me. Um, I started off wanting to be a missionary, went to an AG, got any old AGers in here? Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, went to an AG school, I know I don't look like it, played basketball there, ended up getting an, ed an education degree because I figured I could get into any country with an education degree, and then that landed me in getting a job in special education, and I, I stayed there. You were in, you were in Vanguard, right? Vanguard. Yeah. Yep. A little so, bit nicer than in Wasatchee. California. <laughs> it, was, it was tough to be five minutes from the beach. So, 
I, uh, I want to... I want to ask Amber some questions, just give you context about her work, but I think you need understanding about her journey with the Lord. And um, one of the things that we've we've shared a shared uh, is just like having this consciousness of God in prayer at a young age, this awareness of His calling. Would you like talk a little bit about like the first time you remember being aware of God and just like praying and and. So anyway, just talk about that. I have some pretty good memories back in the day of my pink bedroom. I, like I said, I always played basketball, so I had pink bedroom and porcelain dolls, which were creepy. I don't know why I liked those. <laughs> but, and then um, basketball, everything in there. So it was like pink and orange everywhere, you know, kind of my thing. Um, but I remember sitting on my pink bed and with my picture Bible. I don't know if anyone knows the picture Bible, but I used to actually, that's one of the only read times I've gotten a lot of trouble is I would stay up well past bedtime reading my picture Bible. No idea why I liked that, but the Old Testament just kind of drew me in. But I learned a lot about the Father during that time, just naturally, organically, no one making me. And I remember sitting on that bed and having um, just lots of experiences with God in my own way. Um, I wrote some plays, they were really great, about, it had like a Gilligan's Island characters in it. Um, Miss Howe ended up going to hell because she loved money too much. I, I guess I was real black and white during the state. So but that like, was my starting point, with real black and white, like this way or not that way. I'm not quite as black and white anymore. Interesting life happened. So you're mixing anyway. Nick at Night and Old Testament. I did it. Okay. It wasn't Nick at Night during that time, actually. Okay, fair I'm enough. Old. It was actually on the real television. <laughs> As you're sad not, as that is. I mean, I, I don't know, though. Like, you're not quite... I'm not that old, but it wasn't yeah. Nick at Night yet. It was still just like the reruns, you know? So, yeah, I... I can can you, tell me, can you tell me for a time you remember, like, just, like, God talking to you? You even, like, reference a scripture that you love. Like, what, like... One scripture that has always been huge in my life is Psalms 139. And it's a scripture where you may have read before where it says, you know, God knew me before I was born when I was knitted in the womb, and... You knew all my days before there were one, and all that stuff is a great portion of scripture. And it's interesting how we we can connect with a scripture at different times in our life, but how that unfolds in different ways as we get older. Um, there's a part at the end that was really confusing. There's like a part in the middle, like where it's like, and kill all the people who are terrible and smite. This was weird. I just I just skipped over that. I just skipped over that part. But as time has gone on, I under, even understand that part now. Um, did not then. I just, as a kid, looked over it. But I loved um, that scripture. I can think of a, a time in my life where God really did talk to me. I thought about this just uh, to give an example. Um, Jacksonville camp. I don't know if we have any yes. old timers, but yes. Jacksonville is really terrible. It was terrible um, as far as how nice it was. But it was great for when God moved. So I just remember I got a burden to pray for my brother. He's 10 years older than me. Always had a little bit of problems with drug and alcohol use. Um, and I just remember getting this burden to pray for him one night. And um, when I got home, I realized that he had had some problems with, drug, uh, with, with driving while intoxicated and had been hauled off that night. And I didn't know, but I knew that at that point I was praying for my family. I was probably 10. I knew at that moment that I was praying for him. There's another time I've had a nephew that died of cancer when I was 15. And this was not at Jacksonville, but at Maypearl. Um, and I was just really sad about that. It's really hard to watch a kid die when you're young. It's really hard to ever watch a, a child get cancer. Those are really lofty ideas that are very difficult to grapple with. 
and um, my family watched that. We took him to treatment and we watched that. And I just remember really, really, really struggling with that and being super sad. And when we were at May Pearl one day, we were just praising the Lord and, and having worship. And I just got this vision of him dancing around God's feet. And never again was I sad like that ever again. Like it just took away that sadness because I knew he was okay and he was healed. It wasn't the way I wanted it, but he was not sick anymore. And um, he was happy. So those are just some, some things in which God really talked to me during that time. So when you were, you're at Vanguard, what did, what did you study and like how did that lead you? Because you have a journey of just being in pastoral ministry that I'd love for you to share about. But what did, what did you study? I don't even know what you studied. I studied just edu level studies education degree, which is actually how I landed in special ed. Because although California doesn't have a great education system, getting a degree there in education is a, is a five-year program as, as opposed to a four-year program. So I graduated with a degree, but I didn't have any of my student teaching. So when I came back here, I had to do my student teaching. I had to do it in an area of need, which was like math, ESL, or special ed. And um, I went with special ed. And so that's how I, I entered into that realm. But um, yeah, like I, loved, um, I loved my time at, at Vanguard. Um, it's, it's like Southwestern Assemblies of God. It's just, it's just in Southern California. Um, and so, which makes it a lot different with the rules and stuff. But um, I also, I, I, I minored, I had a minor in um, Spanish, but I cannot speak it. I can only get myself <laughs> into some trouble. <laughs> Not get myself out of any trouble or get you out of any trouble. So don't go to Mexico and get in trouble with me. Um, but I minored in that because I always wanted to be, always from a very, very little age, when, you know, young age, wanted to be a missionary to Mexico. Haven't done that yet, but feel like I, I will do that before I die at some point. Do something um, along that along those lines. But that's kind of my my. So I left college with this idea of very ministry minded. Really had a heart to be in ministry and to do ministry. Um, I am. I'm going to say a word we we don't want to say in church, but divorced. Ah, yikes! I said it. But I'm divorced. But that's when I met my first husband. Was during that time when I was in college also comes from like a lot of family members are here at this church which always makes people feel a little bit weird but we're still great friends um family and i and i mean i still am in good standing with him but um that that was a journey in and of itself um as far as going into ministry and stuff like that i want to ask you about this because i know you talked about this you um you you know most people here know a little bit about the story that 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 was a a great bit of difficulty for you along the journey of ministry and marriage and divorce. Um, but you really felt like God led you um, into marriage with who, with who he led you and um, like very strongly. And yet there was, there was difficulty. How, how did that? So there are a lot of things I wish had turned out differently in my life, but not a lot of things I would have done differently. Does that make sense? Like, I don't think I just misheard or did the wrong thing. Um, and I'm not saying that just because I have two great kids or anything like that. Like, I, I think I even shared with my daughter the other day. I was like, you know, I'm remarried now, so this don't this is this is not weird for me to say, just so you know. But, like, I still love my ex-husband. I still I don't love him like I would a wife, but I love him and I want good things for him. And I don't love him just, just because he's my kid's father. I love him because I feel like he's still the person that I believe him to be. Um, he's, he's had some different things going on in his world it, that I'm sure he'll find his way through uh, and, and, and work all that stuff out. But like the effects of that 
situation. Um, we're not, <laughs> we're not really fun or great. Um, a lot of things that I experienced was was not really great um, as far as just unfaithfulness and different things like that, and um, lots of things to think about there. I can pull apart a lot of things like um, the church world, um, not so great there. I can't I can't speak to this. Say that my personal treatment, just me personally as a person. Uh, my experience with the church world, uh, especially administration and other pastors, given our situation, I can't say that it was um, particularly kind or thoughtful of me in the process of what I had to face. And that makes me sad because we shouldn't be that way. Um, and then also just there's, there were friends along the way who participated in some betrayal and different things like that. That were was not cool. You shouldn't treat someone like that in the church world. And like almost all of my experience, um, even within my marriage and, and different things, was within the church world. But I am not bitter about the church world. That's not. That's people. People are really messy. And I think the the beauty of the journey I got through all of that was that people can really be mean and be hurtful. That people can also be extremely gracious and restorative. And whatever pain I might have felt in the church world does not compare to the restoration of the goodness I experienced in the church world. Does that make any sense? So um, my ex-husband's family, Chandra, Lisa, Melissa, Zane, Toby, Kevin, um, they are still my family. And not just family like family, like I still could go, I still, I went to their Thanksgiving this year. Okay, so, but not just family, but like, they're my people, if my world falls apart, I still call. So they're my spiritual family. When I, don't, when I need help with my kids, they, they help me raise my kids. I've been divorced for 10 years. They helped me raise my children. They helped me figure things out that were really, really hard, not fun, not what I had wanted, not what I had planned with both my, um, with both my daughter and my son. There, there have been hard things that were not pretty, were not good, were not what I would even consider I should be up here talking because they, they, you know, definitely didn't have some Christian bow on everything. Um, I, I don't know, but I, I think the older I get, the more I think there is no Christian bow. <laughs> Just kind I'll, of messy. I want to have you talk about that because one of the things that I think there is a, that I, I can relate to your kind of upbringing of having a really strong exposure to the Lord. And you grow up with this thinking that, like, you're going to be obedient with God and that means that everything is going to be perfect, you know? And then, like, any, any measure of adult life reality, you'll realize that everybody experiences something not perfect, and some people experience even worse kinds of stuff. Can you talk about, like, like kind of living within, God, I'm being obedient to you, but not everything is going yeah, I can't, I can't, I think I have a lot of questions more about that than any answers because it seems really unfair. I can't say that I have, um, I guess this is weird for me to say because I don't, this has just been my life and my journey. Don't feel like my life or my journey is any better than anybody else's, but like for the most part, I have not made decisions that would veer me away from a relationship with God not because I was seeking something, but because like from that young age, from the little girl sitting on the pink bed, I just really loved God. I just loved that relationship. Like I always have been able to talk to him and I know not everyone has had that experience. I don't know why I have been able to, 
But I just always was like, why would I ever do anything to mess this up? Like, I would never do anything to, to like, I can talk to him, he can talk to me. That being said, pain or hard time or suffering that is self-inflicted or other-inflicted or just worldly-inflicted because we, we live in a world that's kind of fallen and so stuff happens, I see no difference between those. I, I don't feel like, I don't feel like it's like, well, you caused that, so you get to have that. Like, you know, self-inflicted or other-inflicted pain, like someone else inflicting something into your world, bringing something into your world, it, it, it just is all the same. It's all a mess. It's all hard to deal with. Um, people don't handle it right. You don't always handle it right. And it's just really, life to me is just really, really messy. Like, um, which is why we have a, a Savior that came in and lived in our messy world to show, to show, hey, I can make a way. Um, so I guess like when you hear my story, if you can relate to being someone that just kind of stayed on the straight and narrow, awesome. If you're a person, like it should just still apply to you because it doesn't matter where the mess came from. And I, like I said, when I was married, you know, I, I would say that there were like, there were some decisions made by my ex-husband that were his own decisions that caused a lot of problems. So I guess that's why I kind of look at it and I go, it doesn't matter. And he had reasons for why he did what he did that stem way back to, to other things that I don't even understand. That might have sin or Satan attached or what a generational, I don't know, we can list up them all. It just, it doesn't matter. Pain is pain, decisions are decisions, and we're just in need of a God to intervene. I don't know how to reconcile that good things happen um, to bad people, bad things happen to good people. I don't know about all that. I just know that he says he'll be with me. Uh, that's, that's really all I know. That's the best I can give is I don't know that things are always fair, but I feel like God is still always good. And, but there's times when I have to wrestle that down. There are definitely times when, especially, you know, you want to go, uh, I'll give you a, for example, and y'all can just take this for what it was, but there was um, a time when we were, we, we church planted with some of the wonderful people that are here, um, were part of that team. But like, it was an odd feeling when that ended because of some decisions and unfaithfulness. And I couldn't go back into the church, but some of the other people who have been a party to that could go back to the church. That's not fair. Like, I remember hearing about this on a Friday. Like, if I can kind of just give you a snapshot into my heart and how it feels. And knowing, okay, my whole world is, is done. Like, I can't go back to that church that we helped plant. And getting there real early that Saturday morning, and Andrew, you can relate to this. Children, children were still coming to church on Sunday, and I was in charge of the curriculum. So I'm in my pain. I'm, I literally heard all this on Friday night. On Saturday morning at 8 o'clock in the morning, before I know anyone will get there, I get in there to make sure the rooms are set up so that when the kids come in on Sunday, there's still their stuff there. Because when you love something more than yourself, you still just do what you're supposed to do. Because... There was no reason for the kids not to have their curriculum or the, ki or the volunteers not to have what they needed. But there's story and story and story after that for me um, that like I try not to, I guess I don't think about it, but just recently I thought about it conjured up, like just could you forgive or you go through things and you kind of move past them. It doesn't mean that they didn't hurt. And so we all have different pains. Have y'all ever heard of the game um, Worst Case Scenario? 
It's kind of like an apples to apples. You put five cards, and like Andrea will put terrible. one through five, <laughs> what her worst case scenario are, and we're supposed to guess what her worst case scenario are. Well, for me, a lot. Thank you. I also, I just cry, and I don't mind crying, but if that makes you feel uncomfortable, I, I'm really sorry that I just we can just cry in each other's presence or laugh or whatever. Um, but like, it's interesting because different people will rate different worst case scenarios worse than someone else. We're like, oh, I don't, I'd go and, but one of them was like going to Mars and someone was like, oh, I'd go to Mars. I'm like, I'm never going to Mars to colonize it. Yeah. You know, I'm not doing that. So we have all these different things. But the things for me that happened in my life, the pain in my life were, were probably my worst case scenarios for my personality and for who I was. So that gives you an idea of how Satan attacks, right? Your, our worst case scenario. He's not. He's gonna leave the other things alone. If you're not afraid of snakes, not send the snakes your way. If you're afraid of rats, you're gonna get infected with rats. I mean, <laughs> that's really how Satan works, right? So for me, it was gonna be like to take you down, your family down, your husband down, all all these types of things. So I, I don't really know I can get a good answer as to why all that happens. I just know that God is still faithful and good. Yeah, I. It's funny. I was listening to this um, poet that I like listening to, Malcolm Guy, who's also a uh, also a priest in the Anglican Church, and he talked about how a mystery is something which the final word can never be said of. And there is a mystery in which God's goodness is interacting with our brokenness, and that we have to live within that world. And then we, we have to live in a world of finding beauty and perf perfectly. And I would imagine, like this is, a, so most of the, in talking with you, I know most of the families that you serve, um, they, um, they, they fall in love with caring for those, um, you know, their kids or their siblings or whatever the case may be who have developmental disabilities. But I would imagine that that first moment is almost an unexpected, I mean, they, maybe they wouldn't call it their worst case scenario, but like when they start processing reality. So can you tell me like how, you know, pastor, you shepherd, I mean, you're not actually a pastor, but you are a pastor still, how, how you're caring for people who are processing that um, new reality that they're living within. You know, I think the same way that we do anything, just we just do life together. And I, I don't speak the name of Jesus in my job, although I've worked in the public education system for, like I said, 26 years, but I feel like people would see the principles I'm doing as godly, if that makes sense. Um, it's really difficult when you sit in a situation and the first time that someone might hear a diagnosis, diagnosis of uh, intellectually disabled or autism or um, uh, another tough one is emotionally disturbed when you when you might find th those, those types of things that you realize that this is a, something that might be facing an individual, those, especially as a parent. Those things are hard. Um, actually, um, it was Casey that told me this one time when I was sitting, I was crying uh, in, about being in a meeting one time where this family was being delivered this news. And uh, I just remember, I've never, I've always taken this with me, but um, my ex-husband, he looked at me and said, but who better to be in that meeting than someone like you, Amber? You know, and I, I guess after that I thought, yeah, I mean, we're all kind of created and have giftings that lead us in certain directions. And like for me, I don't know why, I don't know, I'm just kind of good at it. I'm just kind of good at working with special needs individuals. I just, I guess, 
um, in, in a good sense, a gold digger. I'm a gold digger. <laughs> I am a gold digger. I we look here and we're talking about you know a scenario, and I'm just like, well, look at this, 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 and this. Like these things are great about this person, and I can kind of just like put the other stuff aside. And quite honestly, I think it's probably because of my early years of adulthood, when I just kept having to find the good in the church system and in the brokenness of a marriage and and friends who didn't treat me right. I think I just kept getting up the next day finding something good. <laughs> finding the good until it just became a way just became a way of living and uh, much easier by the way to find good in the population I was working with and um, in some of the other situations I had found myself in um, can you give a context like in a classroom like of like just that the, some of the funny things that you're dealing with like you told a story when we were talking about the, the have so many story. stories if you've just ever tell been, whatever story you want to tell if you've ever been around me for any length of time you will have heard one of my stories but i have some great ones like really great ones but on uh, typically like just this past month i'm going to give you some things that i that i that i've helped with or that i've done what we have gone over um how you need to smell fresh at work some of you might need that uh, lesson right now <laughs> I, on a routine basis, other teachers don't like to have this conversation. I have zero problem looking at someone saying, you do not smell fresh, you have gunk on your teeth, and your hair is unbrushed. You are not going to get a job like that, so we're going to have to do something. Like, these are normal conversations. The, the, the thing that my, everyone laughs at me that I'm known for is just looking at someone and be like, you are not fresh today. It is not fresh in here. I smell some unfresh smells in this room right now, and I don't know who it is. I think it's all of y'all together. But y'all are going to be the stinky people at your workplace. No one's going to tell you, and they're not going to be your friend. So we got to do something about this. Um, that's every day. Another way, another thing we tell, I say every day is, um, can you say how you're feeling instead of uh, being mean, cussing? Um, uh, take it. Oh, I have one friend that I do community training with. We are working on how to order all through a drive-through because I cannot get him out of suburban. Like, first off, I'm a horrible driver. If I love people, this, CJ just laughed out loud. <laughs> Terrible. But we have a we have a suburban um, in our program, and so I just decided these students that were not behaving in class just needed to get in my, my suburban, and we'd go drive around town. <laughs> and as long as they wouldn't grab my hair or do anything while I was driving, then we're going to call. They're going to get in, put on their seatbelt, not grab my hair, or take off any clothes, <laughs> throw them out the window. Uh, we're going to call this good, uh, but I was teaching him the first time he went through a Sonic to order his, his drink, and he used some colorful Spanish um, cuss words <laughs> intermixed with a few F-bombs. <laughs> and I just told the person, I, hey, I, didn't, I don't even think I said I was sorry. I'm like, hey, we're teaching and we're learning and we're using you today. And they were, of course, just laughing about it. But now he goes through and he orders his drink without any of the cuss words. Uh, he still does pray, we, we, he loves his church, and so I was trying to help his, that was one of the community places that his parents wanted to take him was to church. So we just drove around the parking lot at church for a long time, we talked about church, they're Catholic, we listened to Ave Maria, we sang Ave Maria, um, also he loved from Shrek, Hallelujah, that song, we sang that, <laughs> then we got out and we sang those songs as we walked around, then he, we, there was a statue of Mary, he walked up to Mary and he bowed down to it, he said his, prayers and I mean so it this is over a course of about I don't know 10 weeks that finally can get him out we can walk around we can go up to the statue now we can go up to the doors and touch each of the doors 
We don't cuss when we walk up to the doors. We don't say those things. He still loves to drop the F-bombs in his prayers. <laughs> <laughs> and also, burritos get in there and Chiloso gets in there. It took me a long time to figure out why he was praying and it would be Chiloso. He loves Chilosos and F-bombs and burrito. And then finally one day, I got him to the point where we could go into Chilosos and eat and get a steak burrito. And he sat down. And you know what he did? He prayed. I was like, that's because when you usually pray, you're eating. That's why the food keeps getting into the prayer. You know, this makes sense now. <laughs> um, he did at one point sing uh, Ave Maria, Maria as Ave Burrito. In the car. Um, so I've had lots of fun there. And my last name now is Wagner. So he calls me uh, Amberger for Amber Wagner. Um, and that's why. But like, it, and, and he is one that would be a tough one. But like, so like, um, the other thing that we've taught this month is why you don't poop in a urinal. <laughs> yes. Twice. But also telling the uh, janitors we're very sorry. <laughs> the first time they were okay with it, the second time they were less okay with it. Can you tell the story about the, the guy you called the crocodile? The, shoe. yeah, the, the shoes. Yeah, okay. yeah, the shoes. So this is typical. I mean, there's a thousand stories like this, just so you know. But like, so I have one student. If you have any experience with special needs population, especially with a lower cognitively developed individual, communication is the main is a major issue. Communication is the biggest issue. And if you can give them a way to communicate, so a lot of times they communicate by taking their clothes off. That is how I'm telling you I do not want to go here because they have learned. If I get stripped down, then you're not taking me anywhere, right? So we have one guy, if, if he only takes off his shoes, it's a good day. So I gauged how good the day was. Where'd we get to today? His shoes, pants, underwear, are we doing good? So um, he had just taken off his shoes that day, but he'd gotten mad enough to take out his shoelaces and they got really afraid, so we couldn't get them back in. But our other little guy, and I say guys, these are adults actually. I work with mainly adults now, so these guys are 20. I will say this student, he is a student, is a nonverbal. Um, autism and uh, he's what I call a gator you know what a gator does they just kind of they look they look to see what they want and when you're not looking they go and grab it and this dude is fast most of the students I work with are not very fast I'm like yeah if you catch me I'm in trouble but you're probably never catching me because I can outrun you until I get I guess a certain age I'm gonna be in trouble most of the people I'm like I can outrun you and I can outmaneuver you uh, but they get me, I'm in trouble. But this guy is just lightning fast. So he has noticed, he has OCD. Like, and I've, this is a funny story until you really think about living. Like if you're the parent, it's not as funny. But this guy is gatoring. He's looking. He has found what he wants, which is his OCD will not accept the fact that the insoles to these shoes are not in right. And in fact, they've been used and these shoes are so old, they just come out. And he knows this because his other friend has taken them and thrown them out in class as a part of his I'm ticked mentality. So he's gator and he just grabs those insoles out of those shoes as fast as he can, runs to the bathroom and flushes them down the toilet. <laughs> so then here we go to the parents' house to which I'm like, I'm really sorry. I was dropping this student off this day because we were doing a community day. So I dropped him off, I walked him up to his mom. I'm really sorry about your kid's shoes. He has on his shoes his uh, Nike high tops, they were old. 
She was going to go buy some new ones anyways. Just pointing that out. No shoelaces and no insoles. And I think the socks were missing that day too. I'm like, I'm really sorry, but another student took the insoles out and got them to the back to the toilet before we could get to them and flushed them down the toilet. <laughs> and we don't know what happened to his, his shoelaces either, but they were too afraid to get back in. So this is like every day. This is like normal everyday scenario. Probably more than one story like that on a regular basis. So that is what I do with my life. Chris, do you have the pictures? I was just going to show you guys a couple of pictures um, because they're beautiful to me. Look at this. She's learning to brush her, her teeth. Um, she was actually someone that was adopted from China by a family. You can go to the next one if you want. We'll just run through it. We get to see her again. Um, this group here is a group of adults in our school district that we service. And um, they went on the field trip. Now that one, the reason why I wanted you to see that one, we're just going to keep having Hannah's face show up there. Um, the amount of work I had to do to make this happen is ridiculous. It took me two years, two years to get funding um, for the bus. I had to be real creative. I had to use my brain. I had to have social equity. I had to have teachers that would give up things. And then, oh, these guys here are doing their snack cart. Some of our adults there too. I don't know. I don't know what other people look when they see these, these students. I don't, I don't know what y'all see. I just see beauty. I just see really, I mean, this is a guy that I've worked with for eight years. Um, he's now graduated and we would consider each other friends. I take him out, we just hang out. We go out probably once, probably three times a month. I take him out, we go do things. Um, but this is what I've spent my life doing and I really love it. I know different people have different points of view. I know there have been lots of people that would pray for healing of these guys or different things. I'm not saying that's either here nor there. I'm just saying my role is to love them. And man, I, I know that there are some things that could be healed about them. I just don't usually see those things. I just see a lot of beauty. I see the best of what humanity has to offer. This is my guy that likes to cuss at the, uh, <laughs> I would like to tell you that is, uh, you guys won't believe this, 60, is it 120 hours worth of community development to get him to a place where I can get him to a park. And of course he called me over, Amberger, Amberger, come swing with me. <laughs> of course I went to go swing with him. Um, and these are some, a little bit more higher level students that we work to get jobs. Um, not necessarily because they need the money, but most of us, we make our friends and we um, have our happy lives, our good lives through our work. Um, and so I work um, hard to help them have jobs. So that's kind of what I spend my life doing. Um, oh, look here. This is our Christmas thing I was going to tell you about. Well, look at this Santa and this Claus. <laughs> that's a real one right there. So, um, yeah, that's just what what I've spent my life doing and I really love it. I've never had a day of work that I hated my job. In, 20, in over 25 years, I've never hated my job. I've never not wanted to go to work. Um, and there are sometimes I've gotten things, I've, I've been kicked, I've been hit, not as much as others. Uh, hair, I, I only had my hair pulled once. Um, I don't do, I've not worked with a lot of the students that have a lot of personal care issues, but 
there are a lot of students that even at 20 still need to be diapered. And um, when I do have to do it, um, I do it with a level of integrity. Like even with like, I told you it took me two years to get all the funding I needed to do that field trip. Um, you know, sometimes I think that, like I feel like I'm a smart person and I feel like oftentimes in the world of special education, we don't put our smartest teachers there. I'm just gonna say it. But I had to be super smart and not get upset or mad at people. And because they, I try to explain this to my children whenever this, that day happened, when you saw that they were out in the community, we did a hayride, we did these things. That group of students in particular is very difficult to get out because of their unique needs. Um, and I, I can't say that I can give a real good answer as to why I felt that that was, I would say, holy act. Except for that they shouldn't just be in a room. Not for, not for the good of society or for their good. Should they just be sitting in a room ever? It's just not okay. And they should be able to go out and look at the pumpkins like everybody else and do the stuff like everybody else. And um, it was really interesting too because once we got there, then the whole place started going, oh, we can do a hayride for free if you want to get on here. Because it brings out the best in society. The whole idea of people that are imperfect, like you and me, should have opportunity. And um, I just guess I just, I had texted my, my kids after that. I was like, I hope I have raised you to be, to be people that will work hard and do the things that no one else finds value in just because you know there's value in it. And to me, that's the holy work of the Father. And everyone's is different. Like, I spent two years doing something with a lot of work, didn't feel like work. I mean, really by an outreach standard, if there's only 100 Christmas wish lists in here. It's probably about ten to $15,000 worth of stuff that I'm helping to ship over there. and it, It's not a really big outreach, but I'm the only one doing it. So it's a good amount of work. does not feel like work to me. It just does not. I mean, I spend hours going around getting gifts from people during this system, the, the season of time. doesn't feel like work to me. So I guess my thing I would ask you guys is what, is, what doesn't feel like work to you? Because that's probably your holy place. That's probably your place when there's no one else is looking or watching or expecting anything of you. You just do it the right way. You just do it the right way because it's the way that it should be done. And I don't know that it will matter to anyone other than what does it mean when we interact with who God created us to, to be? To do it to the best of our ability. For whoever is going to get that opportunity. I, I, don't, I don't know, but I think that's the closest we get to being what God would want us to be. Like living that type of life, holy work of God, it helps the world, but it helps us to live the closest to our purpose and to be happy and to do things that don't feel like work. You know, I, I, I agree. And I also, Colossians 3, it says, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive a reward of inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. I, lo I love the scripture because it talks about our work no matter what it is. And I will say this about you, Amber. 
uh, while I while I know you're exactly where God has you, you also were waking up on Sunday morning or Saturday morning getting kids' curriculum ready when you were being kicked out of the church. And so some of it is that you worship with your work wherever you are. And I don't know uh, how to ask, put that into a question, but can you talk about like how you have kept God at the center? I mean, because I know that you spend lots of extra hours working on stuff that nobody asks you to do. Can you talk about how you keep God as and your work at the center as worship? Well, I think it comes back really to Psalms 139. I think at a very young age that got embedded into my heart and into my mindset and perspective, and I had never been able to part from it. So if I believe that God created me in the womb, then I have to believe he created you. And if I believe that he has something planned for me that is really incredible, then I have to believe that for you. And it's an understanding of humanity, I think, that really becomes super important to me. And also understanding that sometimes the work we do is not results-based. I do a lot of things, a ridiculous amount of things within my job. I send it to parents, they never read it. But here's the deal, they should have the opportunity to not read something if they want to not read it. They should, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll create community experiences and a family will say, I don't want my, my child to par participate in that. Well, I do that with my kid who is, you know, neurotypically developing. I get to say no to things, but why can't they say no to things? They should have the opportunity to choose life in a way that works for their family, and that can only be done if someone is intentionally creating those things. And to me, that's honoring of humanity, I guess. I guess that's the, 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 the thing, is at its base level, like even in the situation where I, I had some people who really did some ridiculous things to me, and I remember writing them letters of forgiveness and saying, one day Satan's gonna come back to you, want to beat you up for what you did to me, read this letter. Just pull it out. And that, that came at great cost to me. Or even like honoring a promise I made 24 years ago to my husband that we ended up, my ex-husband that we ended up getting divorced. Like there's parts of the promise I just didn't feel comfortable within myself walking away from. Parts of it, yes, I mean, you, you get divorced. And so I guess it just meant, as for me as a person, I could have let myself off of all of the promise, but like I promised to do my best to honor. Well, so then I'm gonna do my best to honor. Even if there's things that are, you have to dig a little bit to find some things to honor. And sometimes I've had to dig. Like I still to this day am affected by divorce. If anyone's gone through divorce, financially it is a wreck. It wrecks you for years. Like I have to work two jobs. My husband now, who is a wonderful, awesome man, he works, he works two jobs because he also has children. Like divorce is just a financial wreck, a train wreck for you. As opposed, and along with other things too. Um, don't even bring in kids into the mix because that's really difficult too. Um, but even though I still am paying the consequences for some decisions that maybe I would not have made, it, I guess it just it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. We are who we are. I'm gonna love and honor and do and be me and be what God created me to be. I guess so. I guess honoring who God has created you to be is I think it's a holy work. Even in like something like divorce or that's really messy. It's really not fun. It's really gross. Um, but 
But I guess that was what I would say is honoring promises. I guess integrity is, uh, I read something in the locker room, as I said, I did play basketball, so there's a lot of locker room talk that we get, a lot of inspiration we get, right? It's, integrity is who you are when no one else is looking. I think that's a type of integrity to me that honors the father. You know. Can you, can you take two questions to kind of give us, wrap us here, how has, Maybe all of your life, but also like your work specifically. How has it shaped, reshaped your view of Father? And you've talked a lot about um, the beauty that you see. And can you also give some advice to people on how they dig gold out of situations that are hard? Because that, because you're kind of doing that both in your work, your gold digging. You've done that in your life. You've used that phrase. Like, how do you see the good? Um, so take those either way. How's your perspective changed? Well, and, and then, yeah. I work with one student even now. I've worked with him when he was a freshman. He's, so five, five or six years when he was born, he had some things going on. Just, just his brain did not develop to the point where he, like only half of his brain functioned. He's had a brain surgery. That dude has come into a place eight hours a day that is really tough for him. He's never gonna be the best reader or the best at math. Like, I don't know adults. I think that's the one thing that I look at my students and I think of all the time is, who is showing up for eight hours? What adult in here is gonna show up for eight hours a day to really kind of suck at something? Everything's gonna be hard. Everything is going to take a huge amount of focus for you just to be kind of okay. And hopefully you don't get in trouble that day. Uh, there is no adult that's doing that. And I, there's one student that comes in every day, tries hard. He does what he can. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of hard. I mean, y'all will look at me and think I seem nice when I'm talking about, but I am a very difficult teacher. I do not accept anything less than your, your best. So I'm sorry that you're, only half of your brain works, and I'm sorry that only one hand works really good, but you want a job, and so you're gonna have to get it together. So. What are we doing here? You're gonna have to use this hand to stabilize. Nope, not gonna be able to sit down. Sorry, you're tired, get up. We're working, we're doing, like I am hard. I am tough. I do not let, I do not, out of my great love and beauty that I see in them, like I want them to have every opportunity. And if we don't do something about this, they're sitting on the couch when they're 30, probably gaining weight, which is really bad for their, for their health. So if I don't do my job now, uh, those families too, the, the opportunities shrink the older the special needs population gets and the, the burden becomes really heavy on families. Um, so just seeing that beauty of who they are and thinking that they should never just be in their homes. Um, and they, they just, each student has some kind of unique thing that, that just resonates. Even our, I've got some grumpy autistic, um, I don't know, different people, we shouldn't call them autistic students, but students who have autism. Different people have different ways of talking and it changes all, you know, every year. But students with autism, um, some real grumpy ones. And uh, they're really pretty funny, actually. And um, I'll never forget about one particularly prickly um, autistic student I worked with. And he hated storms and we had a tornado drill. That was not a drill, it was like a tornado coming through. And so we're in the, all in the bathroom and he looks at me and goes, 
at a time like this, it might be nice if someone I kind of liked put their arm around me. <laughs> okay, Jack, come on over here. <laughs> I mean, what's not beautiful about that? Basically, that's how we all feel at a time like this, even someone I kind of like. I'd take that. I'd even take someone I kind of like to be nice to me today. <laughs> so I guess I just kind of, everything they say, I'm like, yeah, I feel like that sometimes too. I just never say it to someone I kind of like because it wouldn't be appropriate. But even someone I kind of like being nice to me today would make this situation a little bit better. I get that all the time. All day long, I get things like that. I'm like, yeah. Exactly. If I could take off my clothes right now and not have to do something <laughs> and not get in trouble, might do it. If I could just throw this shoe out the window and communicate that I'm really ticked, probably get some attention. So, I mean, there's a lot of beauty in that, a lot of beauty in the families I work with. Um, it's, not, like, it's definitely made me a better parent. A lifelong commitment for some of, um, and which makes me think, I think it's always supposed to be a lifelong commitment to our children. I don't think it's ever an 18 and you're out of here. That's right. It's not ever supposed to be that way. And I think I adopted that thought pattern like, oh, it's never I'm done. We're always doing this together at whatever capacity you need type of thing. So. Tell people, how can they find good? How can they, how can they look? What is your key to looking for good? I don't know. Um, I really think it goes back to that really terrible time I had. Um, this is a terrible thing to say, but some of my very, very, very best friends that I would, I, some of them I don't even talk to anymore because we're life. But if they called me up, I'd be like, what body? Where are we going? Where are we burying it? Maybe not quite that, 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 that much, but like I had gotten to a point to some of my, my best friends are those that did not betray me in a season of time when they could have. It wasn't that you were good to me even. It was just that you didn't take the bait when someone gave you an opportunity to betray our friendship. They are my best, I mean, so I guess when you get to a point where you see a lot of darkness of the human nature, and I can't say I've seen the worst of human nature, but I've seen some not good parts of the human nature, especially even like the Christian world, I guess, Seeing so much darkness, the beauty of that is it makes it really easy to find even a sliver of good. So if you've ever gone through anything really, really hard that you think was terrible, if you can flip your perspective just a little bit, just a little bit, you can probably find, you know, a lot of good in it. A lot of really beautiful things. Just as, just as much as something is just ridiculously, terribly wrong. In those situations, you can usually find a ridiculous amount of grace and beauty. Um, we just don't always train our eyes to see that one. I think for survival, I had to, honestly. So I, I, don't, I don't know how other people would do it. I just know that like, I would not have survived my particular circumstance without being able just to, to see the good of it. I, I want us to pray into that. If, if you don't mind, um, I, I do feel like that we all are presented with some level of, of suffering. Even, even if we live a righteous life, there's a, there's a blessing in that. Um, and um, we have a choice to see Jesus and his blessing in the midst of that. Um, but I think that what we see shapes so much of our life. Um, 
And so there is like grace to walk through hard things if you're willing to see where God is working. Um, I want you to pray over people that they, that they would have the grace to see the good in the midst of where they're at. Um, and I just want to, just as a, just as a sign of faith, how, how many of you, if you feel like, raise your hand if you feel like you need a greater grace to see God's goodness where you're at. I just, just really quick. If you feel comfortable, I, I, if you want specific prayer for this, I want to have you stand up because I'm going to have, I'm going to have Amber pray and we, we can stand too. Um, if you want specific grace to see God's good work where you're at, I want to have Amber pray over and you. I wanted to, I feel led to share this because we didn't, but in a, even in a crowd this size, you might brush against someone who has a sibling or nephew, niece, someone that has a special need. Um, and just some real practical things to know, like, this sounds, this sounds so, it's, this is not spiritual at all. This is just like my little brain working, okay? Because this is what I do. There are some programs in the state of Texas that can provide lifelong supports for people with special needs. But those wait lists, like think about it like if you were going to, you know how you go to uh, Six Flags and you gotta wait. Well, this is before they actually had the measure. Now they do. When I was a kid, you had to wait to get up to the, up to the front of the line to see if you were tall enough to get on the ride, to see if you could even qualify for that ride. So the wait list for, for those programs in the state of Texas is 15 years long. Unless you have extreme medical issues. If you have extreme medical issues, you, you can access them before them. So what you think about, you know, a lot of, a lot, that's a really long time to be able to get some supports for a family, right? And most of the people that are needing those supports, if you've ever had a young child, it's very difficult to tell if they're not developing normally. And um, usually around three or four, you can start seeing some things. Um, but you, it, lots of times, uh, grief or um, hesitancy, or if I put them on this list, it's showing lack of faith, that God's gonna intervene. Um, and so I, a lot of the families I work with don't, like, don't even get their students on that list until upper middle school, and a lot not till high school. So then you're looking at you know, they're being, having a 30-year-old and not having the, school stops at about 21, age 21, depending on, could be as late as 22. Um, and then after that, parents are on their own. So just to give you that information, if you have, if, also if you or you know of a family that, um, you know, needs some help or some guidance, like I'm not, I don't know everything, but I know some, and happy to talk to a family um, happy to give you information if you have that buy-in from a family um, because the truth of the matter is families, marriage is hard. Keeping a family together is sometimes hard. It has stressors. And if you have a special needs individual, that stress is extremely high. And so our families, they need help, they need love, they need support. Um, if you know, if you have people, if, you're, if your kids are friends with people, normalizing that situation, let them come to the birthday party. Don't be scared if they act a fool. It's okay. Everything's going to be okay. If they throw something, if they don't do something right, the more you can provide a safe place for there to be an inclusive environment, 
for uh, families where they don't feel isolated, um, the better. So the more you can, you know, provide a loving place with some boundaries and structure. You know, can't come here and do whatever you want, but we can work something out because I, more you can find beauty in their child, you will probably capture their heart because they they live in a in a place where the um, accolades that a neurotypically developing individual would get a lot of, you know, attaboy, that's awesome, you're great, their child is not getting. And so just to give, give a thought and to, to give way to that, it just felt like, especially if, if this is weighing heavy on your heart, if you have a, a, someone in your family, um, I'm always happy to talk about that kind of stuff, always happy to help with that kind of thing. Like I said, don't feel like work to me, just kind of what I do. Um, also, I just wanted to make it clear to everyone in this room, I struggle with finding God's goodness lots of times. And recently, my daughter got diagnosed with epilepsy the last two years, and it has cost us a lot in her own personal life and different things that she's willing to do. And I struggle to find the goodness in that. I just know that it's still there. I can't find it. It's good. I can't find it. I just am going to stand on the principle that it's got to present itself at some point. You know, so... I don't want to give anyone any kind of idea that I have reached some pinnacle of knowing God's goodness because I struggle with that a lot because that's the world is messy and finding goodness in a world like this can be tough. So you just have to stand in the principle of what you know that you know that you know. As my good friend Chandra says, uh, this is how I measure things. You know, like if we shaved our hair, it would grow back. Those things about you that you try to walk away from, like the goodness of God or something like that, and it just keeps coming back, just stop fighting it. Just believe in it. Yeah. I can't get away from the goodness of God no matter how hard I try. It just keeps coming back to me. So then I'm just going to just stand in the principle that it's still good. So I'm going to pray over finding goodness, finding hope. Finding hope is a big deal. Sometimes I talk to parents and all I did was talk to them. Their situation hasn't changed. Nothing's changed about the situation. So I'm just going to pray that that supernatural um, hope can be ushered in right now. Lord, we just come before you. And um, you know, God, even in the last three years, how much I have struggled with finding goodness in some of the darker parts of humanity and of life. But Lord, I know that you are a good God. That in every situation, even the more recent ones of my life, I also see when you showed up so big that you've limited consequences and you've brought forth goodness that really was undeserved in some, in some ways. Lord, I just want to first off just thank you. I want to thank you for my job. I want to thank you for these beautiful individuals you've created and that are walking this earth that have brought me immense joy immense joy the last 26 years of my adult life. Thank you for them. Thank you for the beauty they bring to this world and the hope they bring me and the inspiration they bring me, Father. Right now I pray for those that are in this room that need hope, that Lord, you will show them the nuggets of goodness even in the dark. In Psalms 139 it says, even when I've tried to go to the dark, the light comes through. Sometimes we don't try to get to the dark. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we just find ourselves there. But even in the dark, darkness is light to you, Father. 
I think that's the way that we find the gold in a situation. Because that's who you are. You are the one that continuously brings light in the darkness, that can find good and resiliency and growth instead of failure is final, instead of a point of growth. Lord, just change our mindsets and our point of views in the areas. And Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray that each person would find their place that just doesn't feel like work. It just doesn't feel like work. It's just real easy for me to linger here and spend time here. And that they would realize that that's not a place everyone else can linger in. <laughs> what feels natural to them is probably not natural to everybody else. And that's a place that in their own way that they can begin to do a holy work. Lord, I thank you that the work that I do has always been able to be me and you, honoring your creation. No matter the lowest point of my life, me and you go into work every day, finding what good thing I can find, what good thing you're going to show me in the beauty of, of the people around me, the simplicity. Lord, I just pray in the name of Jesus that there would be hope where there is no hope and good ideas where there needs to be good ideas. Lord, we're not all rocket scientists, but in certain areas, we are experts. I pray that those that are experts in their field would begin to just be the best workers, the most gracious hearts, a humility that really helps them stand out among those around them, a depth, a warmth, a person that would go an extra mile to do the right thing, to honor the Father, to honor his creation, I see a lot of creativity in people, but others will see a lot of creativity when they look at paint and different mediums of art. It's not how I work, but Lord, there's such beauty in that and such holy work in that. I, I bless the work of people's hands and minds and creativity, Father God. May it be a holy work that makes others stand and say, how did they do that? I could never do that but it could be a testimony to who you are, Father God. Yes, and Lord, we just, I also just pray over every person here that you would give us the grace to be able to see the, the place that you've put us in life as an opportunity to live out who you've called us to be. I pray that there would be grace to see your goodness at work, God, in every area. And God, we thank you for Amber, Lord. We thank you for her life and for the way that she exemplifies your holiness, Lord your love to those around her. We bless you, Lord, and we say thank you. In Jesus' name. Uh, just, let's just say this. Just say, Lord, give me your sight in what I do. May I do it for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode from Clear Path Church in Dallas, Texas. If you'd like more info to visit us on a Sunday morning, or to subscribe to our newsletter, check us out at www.clearpathdallas.com. Follow us on Instagram at ClearPathDallas. Thanks for listening.